It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, morning, the 18th 18th of June. June. Morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. There are 183 measures in the government's action plan to become 100% carbon neutral. Targets are set for reducing carbon emissions significantly by 2030, with a zero carbon emissions target set for 2050. Retrofitting or insulating some 500,000 homes and changing how we heat those houses will see one of the most significant changes in our lives. We will use more renewable energy under this plan, increasing the percentage of renewables from 30 to 70 percent. A million electric cars will be powered by 200 chargers installed every year and petrol, diesel, coal and gas will be relegated to history. Plastic will need to be recyclable and and farmers will need to, to change how they manage the land. Timmy Dooley is Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on communications, the environment and natural resources. He joins us on the line. Are we going in the right direction with this, Timmy? Yeah, I mean, I suppose what's welcome about this plan is that it's broadly in line with what the Citizens' Assembly and the Joint Oireachtas Committee had recommended. So it's a, it's a follow-on from that detailed work that has been done that sets out a plan towards effectively decarbonising uh, our economy between here and 2050. And, and we all know the reason why we have to do this. If we're to leave this planet um, in, 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 a, in a manner that meets the needs of future generations, then we've got to stop emitting uh, greenhouse gas emissions that are really affecting in a very, in a, in a very measurable way um, our climate. And, and we see the mm. impact of that year on year. The, the last four years have been the hottest on record. We see a much greater level now of flooding during uh, summertime, uh, much stronger storms than we would have had in the past. And that's impacting on life here. It's, it's impacting in terms of coastal erosion. It's impacting on our capacity uh, to run our agriculture systems. We've seen the, the fodder crisis and shortages over the last number of years. And whatever impact it's having here, it's having absolutely detrimental impacts uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. It's adding to... Uh, people leaving their their their, their native lands—it's mm. creating a, a, a need for migration. 
um, right up into Northern Europe. And that's impacting on political, geopolitical issues right across uh, Eastern Europe. And just change in the weather as a result of uh, the global carbon emissions. uh, And I think there's even uh, a threat to mankind uh, that uh, we could uh, be extinct, uh, as uh, some of the experts have been predicting as a, a result of global warming. But this is a plan, as you say, to bring about a net zero carbon emission society in this country by 2050 to make us carbon neutral as such. A plan to do it, but can we afford to do it? Well, that's the big piece that's missing from this plan. And I mean, if you listen to the the language from the Taoiseach and others, it's about nudging the citizens of the country into making these massive changes. And that's where I have the greatest concerns. The plan is clear in terms of what needs to be done to, to reach that uh, you know, zero mm. emissions by 2050, uh, zero carbon emissions by 50, uh, 2050. But it's not, it's not at all clear on how we're going to do that. We know what we have to do, uh, but the how piece is, imp- is really important and it's missing because, quite frankly, um, this is going to take very significant behavioural change by everybody in society. Um, that's costly. Mm. Uh, you take a lot of people who already have mortgages, the idea of having to spend another forty, fifty, sixty thousand um, on uh, you know deeply insulating their homes, retrofitting as they call it, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Call it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. In, in essence, it's it's, yeah. it's heavy and deep insulation. Mm. There aren't too many people in a position to do that right now. It's the same with the purchase of electric electric cars. Mm. Yeah, there's issues around range that people are concerned about, but there, a lot of people who who travel between. 10 and 15,000 miles a year or perhaps less in some instances there's no reason why they couldn't be uh, accommodated in, in, in an electric car now but the upfront cost is significant mm. now I know there's savings over the lifetime of the car but for some people just getting the initial finance to purchase the car uh, is an issue so we're going to have to see the government bring forward um, very significant access to low cost finance a lot of people's uh, debt rating has been challenged and compromised uh, over the past seven or eight years because of the financial crisis that we've come through. Yeah, they're, you know, people are getting back on their feet, mm. but the ability to gain access to, 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 to more debt to meet their desire to make the changes is the challenging piece, and, and, and the mm. document is very light on that. And is it that if we got to 2050 and had reached all of the objectives of this plan, that at that stage all would be well in that we'd all be driving electric cars or houses would be insulated and we'd be using renewable energy to heat our homes and so on, but it's the transition period in between right. that will impoverish many people. Yeah, I mean, there's two aspects to it. There's the cost of making the change, whether it's to insulate your home, whether it's to change your heat source within the home, uh, to change to electric cars and all of that. But there's an additional piece, because as you move away from those traditional industries, you look at, you know, moving away from oil and gas uh, and peas and coal mm. for the generation of electricity in the first instance. There's a lot of people employed in that sector, so they're going to have to, there's going to have to be new jobs found for people in that sector, the people who make these boilers, um, a lot of people employed in that sector. Mm. So there's, there's, there's a massive change in society. So it's not just the individual cost that people are going to have to carry and, 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 and figure out how to finance. There's also a lot of people who are going to have to change their way of life in terms of their employment. So there's, there's very significant challenges that cannot in any way be brushed under the carpet uh, and do so on, 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 on some kind of a hope 
that it's going to be all right on the night. It's and going the, to take very significant government investment and careful management by each department to ensure that people aren't left behind as a result of these changes. And uh, a move uh, to increase uh, the percentage of uh, the energy uh, that we generate in this country from 30 to 70% in terms of renewables. Uh, But a a lot of emphasis on wind energy, and we know that wind farms are very unpopular. Yeah, I mean, my reading of the document suggests that we are going to have to double the amount of wind turbines on, on, on shore. That's not going to happen easily. Um, we're going to have to look at much more solar energy. We're going to have to look at much more uh, small-scale uh, energy g- generation uh, within communities, uh, being able to sell that into the grid. Mm. And we're really going to have to drive um, innovation in offshore uh, wind energy capture. And there's real opportunities there because by the state investing in early stages of of that technology, uh, it has the opportunity to create employment into the future. The, the, there are opportunities here mm. as well as we as we change away from some of the more traditional energy generation methods and some of the more traditional industries mm. uh, for some of the new greener uh, potential there. But that's that's not going to happen on a hope. It's going to have to be carefully managed. What we don't want to see happen as has happened in other countries where they moved away from say coal or steel industry in the states that we have these rust belts left behind us um it's really important that the government has a plan in place for that just transition um that ensures that people's livelihoods uh, are protected through this change do do you support uh, the general trust of uh, this plan obviously you have concerns and obviously as uh, the opposition spokesperson it's your job to voice uh, those concerns but do we have any other choice i mean as you said at the outset uh, we're suffering globally as a, a result of carbon emissions and global warming uh, absolutely there's there's no doubt i think more and more people now understand why we have to introduce measures to address uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, we've a plan in place now, or a plan published now, um, that, that identifies what has to be done to reach the targets that, that, that are binding on us and that we have signed up to. The piece really now that we all have to work very careful on, carefully on is how that's going to be done. It'll be done in a way that it's affordable mm. uh, and it's going to have to be done in a way that it brings people with us. Um, it has to be done in a way that people don't feel completely disenfranchised that, that, that if, if, if the sector they're working in is, is, is going away, that there's replacement employment for them uh, and for their families to allow them to continue to live in the areas that they do. Uh, and what about farming? Uh, it's uh, along with transport, uh, one of uh, the biggest causes uh, for uh, carbon uh, going into the atmosphere. Uh, and uh, I'm sure farmers uh, would be very concerned at the idea that they'd be told to, to change uh, how uh, they have traditionally done their business or to reduce uh, the uh, cattle herd, for that matter. Yeah, it, it is very challenging, but we are a very big food producer. It's one of our, you know, if you want to do the comparison, it's one of our big in- Industries, um, so agriculture is, is bigger here than it might be in other countries. But other countries then have have more significant pollution from other sectors. Um, what, what, what we have to do is work with Chagas, which is the science advisory agency uh, around agriculture. They have brought forward a plan that identifies better better land management, better better land usage. Um, there's issues in terms of the kind of uh, nutrients that are used in the soil. How we manage the slurry from the from, from from the animal herd through anaerobic digestion, making you know so greening that area, 
look at the re-wetting of our bogs, which acts as carbon capture, mm. planting of more broadleaf trees, which again acts as removing, acts in a manner that removes carbon from the atmosphere. So the entire agriculture ecosystem, if you want, whilst on the one hand is responsible for emissions, it also through 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 um, land usage has the capacity to be helpful in removing carbon from the atmosphere. So it has to be seen in a holistic way. And from my conversations with farming bodies, they know there's an issue. Uh, they want to uh, they want to work with with all concerns mm. to reduce the output. But we have to be conscious that we still need to feed people, um, and it has to be done in a, in a sustainable and and a, and a gradual way. And farmers that I have spoken to are up for that challenge, uh, and they will make their they they, they will make their contributions well, along the way. We all want to protect the environment and to leave a better planet for our children. I'm not sure how many of us want to pay for it. Uh, would That's a big uh, issue. Would you think that if we're to implement uh, the measures in this plan uh, that uh, we'll all uh, see our annual income reduced by a couple of thousand euro when the government says they'll nudge us in that direction, uh, that if we don't follow what is being advised or suggested to us, that it'd be even more than that couple of thousand euro uh, that we'd be down? Well, there's, there's, there's certainly significant costs up front. Um, I think we will see the benefits of that uh, long term. I mean, in the end, we'll be able to heat our homes more cheaply. Uh, we should be able to run our cars more efficiently and therefore more cheaply because electric cars, as as more people buy them, the costs come down. Mm. Battery technology is, is evolving and developing. So the next but in these transitional years of getting to yeah, 2050, it's going to cost us, isn't where, it? That's yeah. where the challenge... Well, It'll cost us, but the government is going to have to help and support people in getting there, uh, in, in, in finding appropriate uh, financial supports, mm. providing access to cheaper finance, because as I said, there's a lot of people carrying a lot of debt at the moment from, from, from the, the recent economic collapse. Uh, and so, so you know, it's, it's hard to see how people can just do this off their own bat uh, by just getting a nudge from, from government. It's going to, it's going to take... I think a considerable level of hand holding rather than nudging. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Timmy Dooley is a Fianna Falls spokesperson on the environment. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we're going to talk uh, about a service uh, that has been caught in our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, in particular of a concern to diabetes patients. Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash has come in to us. Uh, this is uh, the podiatry service, uh, which uh, I think is predominantly for patients uh, who suffer from diabetes. That's right, yeah. It's actually in the, in the Drogheda, operated by the Drogheda Primary Care um, Centre, so it's a, essentially a primary care um, service, and um, it provides podi- podiatry full care and management services predominantly, as you say, for diabetes patients. There are about mm. 350 patients, as I understand it, on the books of the Drogheda Primary Care uh, Centre. Um, there will be people who will be going, um, getting their feet checked, because we know that there are serious risks for diabetes patients who don't manage uh, foot ulcers. Mm. It's a very serious so illness, or it can be a very serious illness. I mean, I think a lot of us don't look on diabetes as being as serious as it is. Uh, but when it becomes a, a real problem, it can result in amputations. That's right, Sanders, and Enormous um, lifetime cost, of course. Um, mm. There's an economic consequence, clearly, um, but there's also a series of human consequence. People lose jobs, people's ability to work uh, is affected. Um, I uh, re- 
heard a figure yesterday in terms of the overall cost, maybe a lifetime cost of mm. um, the amputation, even of a sort of small lower limb, maybe a toe or a couple of toes. And you could be talking mm. about a million euros in terms of lost income, in terms of cost to the state, in terms of health services that are provided mm. to assist you in managing uh, that condition and the consequences mm. of losing uh, a limb. And uh, learning how to walk again. Learning how to walk mm. again in mm. many, many cases. Mm. So the human consequences are very mm. clear. There's an economic cost as well. I was reading some data uh, over the last uh, 24 hours, uh, having been contacted mm. by concerned constituents about this uh, that shows that you know there's a, I think about 550 um, people lost limbs uh, as a result of as a consequence God. of diabetes mm. in 2017 God. alone mm. and we've had a quadrupling of diabetes mm. in this country since 1980 mm. there are well over 200,000 people with either type 1 or type mm. 2 and, and the health service gets a, a bad name bad press whatever but uh, Realistically speaking, we have a very good health service, and this is something that we are particularly good at. This type of care for people with specific illnesses, uh, and uh, I, I think uh, that uh, it's the type of thing that prevents these type of amputations. So uh, it's a, a service. You said it's in the Drogheda Primary Care Centre, uh, but I, I take it uh, that this is a service that's available to people far and wide. Absolutely. As I said, there are about 350 people, as I understand it, using mm. that service. Uh, there are about 60 to 70 who are considered to be priority one. So the mm. difficulty we have here now So that's is different stages. That's a more acute that, stage. That, that's right. That's right. Mm. Who would mm. n- need maybe more intensive management mm. of their full conditions to prevent amputations, prevent the loss uh, of, of limbs. So people would have received letters mm. um, from the HSE in the last few days, alerting them to the fact that the clinic has re- been reduced from a four-day week to one day a week. So the HSE locally now are finding themselves in a situation where they have to manage their patient list yeah. much more effectively. What happens then, though, for somebody whose condition maybe deteriorates and needs more intensive management? They're going to have to go to their GP. Yeah. The GP may not have the time or the skills uh, in that particular surgery to deal yeah. uh, with that issue in the way that the patient needs it uh, to be dealt with. Uh, and ultimately, then, this issue becomes um, possibly an issue for the acute hospital services, yeah. for a Lady of Lords Hospital and other hospitals in uh, the area. Uh, and why is this the case? It's not an intentional cut-up service, is it? No, no there, there was an anticipated need to, mm-hmm. to cover mm-hmm. the service. Um, my understanding is not temporary vacancy, made. isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> um, there, there, there is a leave issue, an anticipated mm-hmm. leave issue in mm-hmm. the normal course of mm-hmm. um, how operations are run. Mm-hmm. Um, this was understood to be the case. Um, this is anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is an application was made by the HSE locally uh, to uh, have this um, issue covered uh, for the next period of time. Uh, that application was unsuccessful. We're dealing now, of course, with what the HSE calls cost mm. containment okay. measures. Right. Because of overruns and hospitals. Okay, so it's not a recruitment issue. It's a funding issue. It's a funding issue mm. from the HSE mm. centrally. Mm. They're not because prepared to fund the The podiatrist, the clinician is on temporary leave. There's a vacancy it's there, a temporary vacancy. In the normal course of events, that happens, uh, yeah, of, course, of course, in any business, in any organisation. Okay, uh, and this was flagged, uh, anticipated, and they set about to recruit somebody or sought the funding to, to do so, first of all, uh, and haven't been able to advertise the position because they can't pay somebody. In essence, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, the HSE aren't prepared to fund um, this particular service uh, for the next period of time um, because there are huge challenges in the mm. HSE budget and an inability of Fine Gael and the independents to actually manage the health budget. We're spending €17 billion Euros this year, Michael, uh, on the health budget. It's the uh, largest quantum of money that this state has ever allocated to uh, the HSE uh, to the health service in this country but they don't seem to be able to manage these budgets absolutely Mm. out of control and of course the irony here is that if you don't deal with 
uh, these issues that diabetes patients mm. face in terms of uh, the management of their condition in terms of podiatry and so on, then what happens? They become an issue for the acute hospital services. Mm-hmm. And I told you earlier on the number of amputations that happened, for example, in 2017, the mm-hmm. year for which mm-hmm. we have the most recent mm-hmm. uh, figures, that's only going to grow mm-hmm. uh, if it's a case that we don't have these primary care podiatry services as you say uh, there's there's, uh, different levels of of threat depending on on the disease and how it's taking hold of uh, the patient and uh, patients are categorised in that sense those who are of the highest priority will continue to be seen at the clinic will they? Uh, in terms of the work that the HSC locally is mm. doing, that is that is my understanding. Um, but that's always difficult, of course, mm. um, deciding who is pr- a priority and who isn't. Mm. Uh, and the responsibility will fall on GPs and on private podiatry practices, okay. which, of course, comes at a cost to individuals, mm. and that should not be the case. Typically, just, how often would a patient see a, a podiatrist? Uh, um, well, uh, it could be very regularly mm. for somebody who maybe is older, who has difficulty managing their condition. Weekly, monthly, that sort um, of thing for some people? It could be every couple of weeks. Right, um, yeah. That's my mm. understanding, yeah. just from my own knowledge of, mm. of the situation. I don't have all those details mm. at hand, mm. uh, but I think we all know people in our families, in our mm. wider circle, mm. who have diabetes. It's a huge issue. Mm. 10% of the entire uh, health service budget in this country actually goes to managing diabetes and dealing with diabetes and the consequences, mm. the, the, the chronic conditions that arise from um, from poor management, maybe, of diabetes. Mm. Um, so that just goes to show you the scale of the problem. So but for those point, who won't be seen now by the podiatrist, do we know when they will next be seen? No, we don't. By a HSE service-led. We, we, we don't. We, we, we absolutely mm. don't. And th- this, is, this is the point. Um, you know, we, we've, we have a service here that has been four days a week. It's going down to one day a week. Mm. They're going to have to um, really be very targeted in terms of who they prioritise. And my mm. fear is people will fall through the cracks mm. uh, and people will end up in Our Lady of Lords Hospital uh, with more serious issues mm. as a result of the failure of the HSE to fund this situation going forward over the next period of time. And, and that it, those who are considered Category 2 may end up being Category 1 because they haven't been seen and prevention is better than I'm cure. Sure it follows day. the mantra uh, that that's uh, why investment in would continuously go along with in the health service. In the primary care service and investment in podiatry services to prevent things like amputations and prevent manageable conditions becoming much more uh, complex is uh, so, so important. And it seems that, once again, the HSE are what we might call Pennywise and pound foolish uh, make this investment now to prevent people from having to go to hospital and the consequences that arise from that, the cost of the health service and the personal consequences. Right. And do we know what type of cost we're talking about? Are we talking about recruiting one medic? My understanding it would be one individual uh, over a period of time. So you could, uh, you know, for maybe a half yearly cost of about mm. 30, 40,000, maybe 50,000 euros, something like that. In the scheme of a health service that mm. is costing 17 billion euros this year to run, that is absolutely minuscule. And given the consequences of not investing in that service, it is very difficult to understand why the HSE can't mm. simply fund this service, allow this to happen for this short period of time uh, to allow for this, for this situation to be covered. Well, it is particularly odd, isn't it, to shut a, a service down while somebody's on leave? Well, the, the, this, this seems to be the, the issue. And again, these things can be anticipated. Work was done, as I understand it, by the HSE locally to try and uh, address this situation. But this appeal has mm. been falling in deaf ears. A business case was made, as mm. the HSE requires. Um, the, that, that business case fell on deaf ears and is a direct consequence, mm. Michael, of the mismanagement of, of the inefficient use of funding mm. uh, in the in the HSE. Spending €17 billion Euros this mm. year but not able to uh, manage a service like this going forward. Okay, and I, I take it this has been brought to your attention by people who use the service, yeah, people who have diabetes. Contact with me. Letters mm. were issued, mm. actually, mm. Uh, 
towards the end of last week. What uh, have they been saying to you? They're very concerned. Um, a lot of people can't afford to go and see uh, a private podiatrist. Um, that's understandable. Mm. Um, concerned as well that the GPs don't have capacity to, to deal with this. Uh, and Have they been advised to see somebody privately? Uh, advised to see their GP uh, and mm. provided with information as to how they can manage their conditions themselves. Mm. Um, that's probably the best the HSE locally said they can possibly do, given that the funding isn't available to mm. cover this position. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean uh, to look after their condition themselves? Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's there. It seems to me that people are saying, "Well, it's your responsibility to do what you wish now," mm. um, because this service isn't available for the next period of time, at least not at the level it was. Mm. Um, so the concerns expressed to me were, you know, GPs of obviously nursing practitioners, mm. expert nurses who work with them at the moment, but maybe not experts in mm. podiatry and foot care. But so th- I mean, this is a bit like chiropractory, isn't it? Uh, and dealing with foot ulcers and that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, how do you go about looking after that yourself? Well, no, it's, 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 particularly if you're an older person, it's very yeah. difficult to, you know, right. um, put the bandages on your feet. Mm. To you know, We're all aware of older people as well who mm. maybe need to be reminded to take their medication and, yeah. and to mm. manage whatever mm. condition yeah. Yeah. that they might have. Mm. So that just goes to show you fit the nail mm. in the head, Michael. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people can't be responsible mm. themselves just for mm. managing those kind of complicated conditions. Looking at the telltale mm. symptoms as well in terms of, you know, these red lights Mm. and these triggers if you are in difficulty. That's why the ongoing care of podiatrists is so, so important. Mm. We've an overworked GP service uh, and we're now uh, sending these patients to see their GBP uh, sometimes every couple of weeks, as you were saying. That's right. If uh, they don't have a medical card, that's a a significant cost. Mm. Absolutely. And Mm. we're not talking just about older people here as Mm. well. A significant number of people under under 65 for amputations. Uh, Again, um, for lots of different reasons, maybe they haven't been managing the condition well enough and the services in fairness are patchy across the country yeah. we have a good service here in Drogheda in terms of podiatry clinic people value that mm. uh, when does it end at some point over the next few months all right we'll leave it there for the moment thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning labor party senator gerald nash Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's return once again to the aspirations of uh, the Climate Action Plan to tackle climate uh, breakdown, which was introduced uh, by uh, the government uh, yesterday, as we've been hearing. It uh, follows on foot of uh, the report and uh, the recommendations that came from uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Communications, Climate and Environment. Uh, the chair of uh, that committee is Fine Gael TD for Galway West, Hildegard Nocton, who joins us now. And a uh, very good morning to you, Deputy Nocton. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, I'm sure like a, a lot of people you'll agree that it's a laudable plan in terms of uh, the aspirations that it has set, indeed to the targets that it has set, uh, but do you see this uh, as a roadmap for implementing those a- aspirations? Yes, the committee I chair, it's a special committee that was set up um, on foot of the Citizens Assembly report on how Ireland can be a leader in tackling climate change. And this all-of-government plan, which was produced yesterday by, by Minister Richard Bruton, gives our committee um, the power basically to act like a PAC on climate, to hold government ministers and government officials to account. Um, this plan has clear time timeframes and targets in relation to every single government department and how they need to reduce their emissions and we can pull them before our own committee it's a cross-party committee 22 members on it um, and hold them to account and there's also a climate action council it's the current climate change advisory council it's chaired by professor john fitzgerald and there'll be new powers given to that independent council that will advise government but more importantly this climate action council will be setting out five-year carbon budgets so it's not to do it finance 
consensus is to do with the emissions that um, all the sectors can emit over five-year periods. Mm. We'll be able to hold them to account and there'll be greater transparency and accountability around it. I think that is one of the most important, I think think it is the most important recommendation in this all-of-government plan because it's holding every single sector to account and there's going to be clear accountability because we know that we're running out of time. Mm. We have 12 years, we're going to miss our 2020 targets, we're way off uh, reaching those targets and we have to reach our 2030 targets if we are to be on course uh, to approach that net zero emissions by 2050. Okay, but when you you say it gives the opportunity to hold the government to account, does that mean that we're setting ourselves up to fail? Uh, Are are we uh, capable of meeting these targets? I think we have to put pressure on and there's nothing like targets and I suppose a, a bit mm. of stake involved and that goes for every single um, government department here. Richard Bruton has a track record in relation to this. He implemented the action plan for jobs back in 2011 when we know the unemployment rate was at uh, 16%. It's now down to below 5% and how he did that and again he has a track record on this. He pioneered this all of government approach where every single Secretary General of the departments are brought before the Taoiseach the head and the Minister of the day and they had clear time frames, targets in relation mm. to, at that time, reducing the unemployment figures. And the same is going to happen here with climate. It has to be led from the Taoiseach's office down. And I think that is what is really transformational about this. It's actually elevating climate to the same level of importance as we treat budgetary matters and the economy. OK, but you mentioned, mentioned John Fitzgerald there, uh, the chair of uh, the Climate Change Advisory Council, and people will read in the Irish Times today that uh, he's questioning as to whether we have uh, the capacity to retrofit the homes uh, that are being talked about in uh, this plan and if there will be the people, the expertise and the money to make sure that these 500,000 homes are insulated and uh, installed with new heating systems in the time frame that we're talking about before 2050. Yes, so we have, and he's correct in that, we've already started a lot of those grant schemes through the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland and many people can access the Better Energy Home Schemes grants, for example, at the moment, which gives you typically up to about 30% of the cost of retrofitting your home. There's other community, uh, Better Energy Community Schemes where communities can come together. There could be uh, mixed projects from homes, community facilities, businesses, all coming together, looking at ways that they can reduce their energy um, bills and improve their energy consumption within communities. So Professor Fitzgerald is correct and this is the reason Mm. why in this plan yesterday we need to try and help people. Part of it will be able to grant people, some people who are facing fuel poverty for example, there's uh, the warmth and wellbeing pilot scheme which comes in and and refurbs or retrofits your Mm. entire home free of charge. Those are people who are in, um, you know, different socioeconomic uh, brackets. But there's people who want to retrofit or insulate their roofs, insulate their walls, Mm. um, and they just need that financial, a bit of financial assistance. Well, that's it. People might want to do it, but they may not have the money to do it. Uh, I mean, Timmy Dooley was uh, saying to us uh, this morning uh, that uh, there's a a lot of people who don't have spare cash and coming up with 40 or 50,000 euro to have this work done may be impossible for them. Exactly. So as part of this plan, there's what what is termed a smart finance. So what we as a committee recommended, our cross-party mm. committee, was that... We- the government should provide low-cost loans or low-interest loans. Um, in this in this plan, there is recommendations around being able to pay back the retrofitting of your home over a longer period. For example, through your energy bills mm. and, and or they higher have property to, tax. Well, yeah, whatever. And again, it's 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 
the mm. citizen's choice in how you want to do that, but it would be it should be cheaper to do it over a longer payback, over a longer period of time than taking out an upfront loan. So would would you be able to convince people though, that that is the case? People might well, say, I'm choosing not to do this because I don't want a loan. Yeah, well, mm. it has to be it has to be f- feasible for people mm. and affordable for people, and I suppose that that is the, the the challenge. And people are not going to take it take something up if it's not if it doesn't work for them. And that's how the SEAI grants work at the moment. The grant scheme where you can get up to thirty percent of the cost, and that works for some people. Mm. Um, and also, we have to remember that through retrofitting your home, forgetting about the economic benefits, there's lots of co benefits, there's health benefits. You have cleaner, warmer air, better air air quality within your home. Not to mention lower heating bills, which will essentially bring down your costs by having lower energy bills. Um, so that's the whole area around the, our, our buildings and the public sector as well have to lead in that. But what we want to do as well in relation to um, retrofitting is to enable communities who are doing really, really good work at the moment. We have sustainable energy communities. There's over a network of 200 communities across Ireland who are really interested in community energy and some of them have, are real influencers within their local area. So what we, what we want to do is increase the number of those to 1,500 um, where they can come together with local businesses, churches, um, um, a local business, like even private homes and work together in how they can retrofit, do a community retrofit if you like. Mm. And also we're looking at grouping houses together. So one contractor could retrofit a bundle of homes in the same area and that would make that whole process cheaper. Retrofit homes from the 1930s or or, or 40s, houses that were built that is in the 1930s or 40s or built last year perhaps uh, where people have invested significantly in heating systems. Yes, and so we need to be looking at innovative ways where we can create economies of scale, where we mm. can do this within communities. And again, one contractor could do that uh, at a lower Sure, cost. but you'd feel hard done by, wouldn't you, if you built your home last year? Well, I have to say that the new, uh, a lot has been done in relation to the uh, building regulations already in, with, in mm. regard to new homes. So a lot of the new homes built are in a better position. We're also going to be setting up a task force um, to bring all of these plans together. Mm. Um, so that's just one area. Well, I'm sure that's the case in terms of insulation and so on. But uh, if somebody has an oil heating system or a gas heating system, for that matter, uh, they'd be looking at replacing that in time. Yeah, in time. And again, I think it's important to say that these are not measures mm. that are going to happen tomorrow, be it get an electric vehicle no. or upgrade your, your heating system. But we, we may end up paying more for petrol and diesel and certainly yes. for diesel from uh, November of this year. Well, what the, well that, that's up to the government. I'm mm. not in cabinet, so I don't sure. know the ins and outs of But, in relation but to I think you'd be disappointed if they didn't act in the next yeah, budget. I think, there is, yeah. I, I think there is an expectation, certainly. But just in, in relation to the cost of electric vehicles, the price of electric vehicles are falling quickly, and that means that there's lower costs for consumers. And they estimate that by the mid-2020s, by 2024, 2025, the cost of buying, uh, of running and buying an electric vehicle will be the same as buying and running a fossil fuel car. Mm. So that will help people make those choices um, over the next few years. It's not a decision that people have to make this year or next year. But Mm. when it is time to replace their cars, they'll be hopefully by the mid-2020s, 2024, 2025, um, more more, a greater supply of electric vehicles 
on the market and they will be cheaper and there'll be more information out there and that is what this all of government plan um, aims to do is to inc- increase the amount of information and access to information that people have. A lot of people do want mm. to do a lot of these things but they don't have enough information on it and we need to improve how we do that through our local authorities, through our local community groups and enabling people to make that transition okay. in the next few years. But you can hear the complaints already, can't you? I, I mean, if petrol or diesel or just diesel goes up in the budget in October and people say, okay, fine, I'll buy an electric car. And they go out and buy top of the range electric car in January and decide then that it's of no use to them because they can't travel from Dublin to Galway. And this is uh, part of it. And again, this is not an over, what, we, what we need to do in tandem with um, asking people to invest in electric vehicles. Nobody will do that if you don't have the charging points across the country. The ESB have already started the rollout of um, increased number of charging points and fast charging points across the country. And that's done through the government's Climate Action Fund. It's a 500 million euro fund. And they put out um, um, a call to industry to come forward with innovative and technological solutions to help us reduce our... our to basically provide the, the products that people are going to be able to use to reduce our emissions. So part of that is the rollout of, the, of a comprehensive and robust electric vehicle um, charging system, as well as in, um, continuing to provide the grants for people. There's grants available where people can have an electric vehicle charger on, at at their home. Mm. Um, and the SEAI, Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, have a lot of those um, grants. And as you know, at the moment, it's free to charge your um, electric vehicle mm. in many public um, um, charging points across the country. So there is benefits there, but we need to ramp everything up, I suppose, to answer your question. The rollout of the electric vehicle charging points and the information, access to information for the citizen. And that's why there is a, you know, a task force um, in relation to all of these and all of this information will be increased over the next few months to allow people and to give people the time to make that transition. So that when they have to make a choice, that there are choices there for them, to, which will essentially help them reduce their own bills and improve our air quality in, within our cities, within our homes, and essentially reach our targets for 2030. And does this, no, does this justify the establishment of wind farms that people don't want? This, we have committed to 70% renewable electricity by 2030. So mm. part of that will be through wind generation, solar, power. And yes, we all know the um, issues and challenges mm. in relation to um, wind farms um, on land. And this has been it was a key concern as well of the cross-party committee. We're also, um, we have to look at how we do that and enable communities. Part of that solution is, at the moment, a lot of communities can't even generate their own electricity. Um, well, they may be able to generate their own electricity, but they can't sell it back into the grid. And we need to be looking at ways of bringing people with us. Uh, we need to invest as well in offshore energy. There's huge potential in offshore energy that we are not tapping into because the regulations are complicated. We've got a, um, a, a MAFA bill, the Marine Area Foreshore Amendment Bill, uh, that has to be reformed to, to allow industry to invest in offshore um, wind energy, which is okay. going to go... If we're looking for 70% renewable energy by 2030, it needs to come from solar and and wind because there's no point in having electric vehicles that are Mm. powered by fossil fuels, essentially. We need to be moving away from that. I have to leave it there. Uh, We've really only touched on the surface of all of this, but I'm sure we'll have much more over the coming days, weeks, months and years for that matter. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Hildegard Nocton, Finnegale TD for Galway West, uh, Chair of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Communications, Climate and the Environment. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Lots of reaction today to the climate change plan. Yep. As people are hearing what's involved, Michael. Uh, Michael got in touch with us uh, and he says, I just want to make a quick comment on the proposed new legislation. In my honest opinion, I don't think any government or any minister has the right to tell the people of Ireland what they should or shouldn't be doing without having some sort of referendum on it. The biggest problem we have in Ireland is the airspace. What happens in the air is horrendous. That is where the majority of emissions happen happens and we've no say in that a lot of the planes are flying over our airspace to go to other countries. The government also has to realise that there's more in Ireland to just Dublin. Everything seems to stop there. What they are talking about is utter rubbish to me, completely over the top and seeing them arriving in the electric bus all for show, Michael. All for show, says Mm, Michael. Okay, well they promise that uh, the whole fleet will eventually be electric and uh, there'll be a lot of other changes for that matter. Brendan is also worried about airplanes. He says that that they're talking about electric cars and oil and Mm. everything else, but what about the thousands in the air? We are smothered from the ground above. Well, I suppose two wrongs don't make a right. (laughs) I think the government is having a laugh, says Grania, with this climate plan. Mm -hmm. Is it really feasible getting rid of petrol and diesel cars, not being able to have your oil oil, um, for heating? Mm. What are they suggesting suggesting that we do? Are we all going to have to buy electric cars. I don't think the oil and gas companies are going to be too happy, Michael. Okay, well I'm sure they won't and uh, there may be some legal challenges ahead of us yet. James wants to know just one thing Mm. and one thing only Mm. how much is this going to cost him, Michael? Oh, I think quite a lot. (laughs) Mm. I think so. Mm. Margaret says can you imagine the queues to charge your car if we all have to have electric ones? Can't see this working, Michael. Mm. Yeah. Uh, another listener says I've read uh, up on this Michael and they're talking about the insta- the installation of oil boilers are going to be banned from mm. 2022 and gas boilers from 2025 and all new homes mm. does this mean that those who already have boilers can still go on using them. Yes, it does. Yes, yes. so that's all this lady is worried about. Okay, Okay. Uh, Mary says, Hi, not a word about cutting back on air travel, one of the biggest offenders. Also, they're cutting down 5,000 mature trees for Bus Connect in Dublin. Think of the damage that will be done there, Mm -hmm. says Mary. I suppose it's the long-term target, I suppose, of reducing uh, the emissions uh, from public transport. (laughs) Another listener, Mairead, says, I initially thought the retrofitting of homes sounded like a great idea, Michael, mm. until I heard she you she was going. She thought she was going back to the 1970s, probably, <laughs> did she? Uh, until, until I heard the flowery carpet. <laughs> she says, until uh, I heard you mention that it might cost forty thousand or fifty thousand. Yeah. Are you having a laugh? She says, how many people will have that type of money to spare? Mm just to to make their homes more insulated. Yeah, well, I think what they're suggesting is that in the long term it'll be cheaper because you'll put that sort of investment into it and you'll insulate the whole house and uh, you'll change your heating system and you'll have one of these heat pumps and uh, everything will cost a lot to begin with but like any investment uh, it'll pay back over a period of time because you'll end up spending a a lot less and very little for that matter on heating your home as time goes on. Hold that thought though for a a moment. Uh, We've a a brand new councillor with us and uh, independent councillor Declan Power has uh, joined us now just uh, co-opted to Louth County Council. Good morning to you and 
Thanks morning, for joining us. Michael, thanks uh, you, you, You've done so under somewhat controversial circumstances, mm. I suppose. Uh, just remind people how you got the seat. Uh, this was a seat that was won by another individual, Kevin Callan, who's an independent councillor That's in right. Drogheda Urban. You're taking a seat that he won in Drogheda Rural. Yep. Um, after the after the election, um, uh, very early after the election, I got a, a call from Kevin Callan. Mm. Um, he had reminded me that uh, he had won uh, two seats. He was uh, uh, looking like to, uh, that the option was going to be that he's going to work in the, in the urban area. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As well as working in the road, but he wanted to offer me um, the, the road seat. I was a little bit taken aback uh, by that, and uh, uh, and, and grateful because it, it offered me a little bit of a lifeline. Mm. And um, but Kevin made it very, very clear that he wanted to pick a person who was uh, living in the area. I live in Clarehead. I've been living there for the last uh, nine years. Uh, he wanted to make sure that it was somebody who who was on the ballot paper, who ran in the election, and uh, and also he made it very, very clear he wanted it, uh, that his person to be uh, non-party. Which meant that if I was going to um, jump at this opportunity uh, for me to serve the community, I was going to have to um, uh, resign my membership from from Fianna Fáil, uh, which I um, did later on that day. Okay, when did you first join Fianna Fáil? People probably think I'm with Fianna Fáil for the last thirty years. Um, I'm with Fianna Fáil. I joined Fianna Fáil um, in order to get on the rural ticket uh, in mid-January of this year, and. Um, so while there might be some Fianna Fáil blood down the line with mm. my grandfather or great grandfather, um, as a as a as a member uh, mid January, you know, mm. and solely for the purpose of seeking public office. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, when this kind of kicked off me this time last year, and, and, and to be honest, I was going to run as an independent, um, but when the opportunity came along to uh, to take a, a, a rural ticket that was there. Mm. It was going to be a big gamble for myself. I'm probably better known in the in the urban area, but mm. uh, I live in Clarehead. Um, it was, um, uh, yeah, a, a good opportunity to get involved in an election, to try to serve the community. Um, I'm not overly known in the rural area, mm. and um, a, a big gamble, but uh, one that you know that I really, really enjoyed. And mm. um, uh, and uh, after the election, I, I I was asked the question. You know, would you run again? I said, mm. absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, would you run for Fianna Fáil? Would you 
consider going. Well, at the moment, uh, Michael, I'm uh, renewing your membership. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an independent at the moment. I know, uh, but would you consider gonna, renewing I, your membership with Fianna Fáil? Well, at the moment, I'm going to work and serve mm. the, the community of Drogheda and Drogheda Rural for the next five years. Mm. Um, that's as my an, as, an as, as an independent. Okay. That's my plan, yeah. and, okay. and, and mm. that's uh, that'd be kind After of that, fair, 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 no, fair, fair enough. All right, and don't mean to personalise this at all. And congratulations to you. You are a member of the County Council. You are a councillor. Uh, and fair play to you but I'm sure you can understand the criticism that people have uh, and indeed the concern they have uh, that the quota was 1,162 you were eliminated with 261 votes uh, I think Uh, and the argument is people rejected you Declan Parra but here you are taking office Yeah and you know again that's this is you know Kevin Callan like like he really um, he blew everybody away. Winning two seats is phenomenal, mm. and he wasn't the only one that won two seats locally. I mean, I think it happened over in, in, in East Mead as well. Mm. And um, uh, Kevin was left with a very you know difficult decision, mm. and um, and like. He, he Should he kept, have had that decision? He, he I suppose kept, this is one of the things that people are saying. He now he shouldn't have he shouldn't have been yeah. in that position. He shouldn't have been, been allowed to put but himself in that position, uh, and that yeah, there should be yeah. change now so that you can only run in one area at a time. Do you understand yeah, why? I understand. Think, I, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Of course, I do. Okay. But um, but the the rules are are there. Mm. He had every right as an independent to running run in both areas. Um, I think there was a lot of people very upset at the way the the, the boundaries were, mm. were, were were set up as well. I mean, there was there was people in I think in, in Brookfield that there was I think thirty houses that were in rural and the rest was in it was in urban and I think the same with Forest Grange I think Councillor Smith couldn't vote in his own, his own side of the, of the street on the side of the estate um, so a little bit some, some of those issues there but he'd every right um, mm. the, the, the rules are there um, he uh, nominated me uh, I wasn't uh, and I had to go to the vote in the council mm. yesterday mm-hmm. um, I was never going to make any public comment or statement until, until I was uh, voted in I was only nominated last week uh, Michael and um, and now I'm in as a councillor and okay. uh, I'm, I'm a Clareman and uh, in 2013 Clareman and all Ireland began in the back door so look for me it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a back door uh, situation but I look, suppose so um, yeah. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Uh, and we look and forward uh, to the next five years uh, and uh, hope that you serve the people really, well. Really, really looking forward to mm. it. And um, and and if I and if I wasn't um, mm. overly known in Drogheda Rural uh, during my election campaign, I can I can rest assured I'm going to be well known uh, over the next five years. Okay. And uh, well, let's, let's do a deal here. Call me back here in, in twelve months' time, mm. and let's see how I'm getting on over over twelve months. It sounds like a very good <laughs> idea. Thanks very much for coming in to us uh, this you, morning, and uh, best of luck to you uh, uh, in uh, becoming a member of uh, Louth County Council. Serve the people well, as I say, and uh, thanks for joining thanks us today. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's independent. Councillor Declan Power. Now let's uh, go back to some more of uh, the calls that have been coming to us. Uh, Marie, what have you got there? Sticking with the climate change, if I can, mm. because we've so many in about that. Uh, Michael from RD says the biggest uh, killing in this country is drugs, and he feels that instead of co- uh, you know focusing on climate change, mm. he'd like to see. Uh, ministers and TDs coming up with a plan to combat the drug problem in this country. He says, if it keeps going the way it is, will the youth of today even know what planet they are living on 
in a couple of years mm-hmm. nap time never mind having the worry about climate change okay, yeah. mm-hmm. and says mm-hmm. again he fears that the poor is going to suffer in all of this mm. so that's what his concern is David welcomes the proposal as part of the plan to expand the cycling network and also park and ride facilities mm. but again like most people Michael is questioning where the money will come from from this is it from central funding or will the councils have to take it out of their own funds to yeah. try and provide well, the councils don't have their own funds and central funding don't have their own funds. They have to get money. From us. <laughs> well, I don't know where else they'd get it, yeah. OK, mm. so another listener says uh, the climate hysteria that is mainly a European concoction is a classic case of the Emperor's new clothes. What's most galling about this is how the media are the cheerleaders for the unfalsifiable junk science. All right. OK. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know what to say about uh, comments like that. Yeah. Uh, John also got in touch in relation to the climate plan and says that he thinks that if even the government manages to achieve even a quarter of what they are proposing, mm. it will be a good day for yeah, the environment. Start. All right. OK. So yeah. I'll finish on that. Thanks for that, Marie. And uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing on LMFM's news, uh, sexual assault on a woman in uh, the Tonwalk area of uh, Dundalk was uh, raised at uh, the council meeting yesterday by Maria Doyle. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, another councillor about this. Uh, Fianna Fáil's Emma Coffey has come in to us. Uh, a regular walker yourself in this area. I, I am. Yeah, I yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, I walk yeah, and run yeah, in this yeah. area and, uh, you, you know, and around the, the particular time mm. in question. Quarter uh, to eight last Thursday. Yeah, 20, mm. 20 to eight last mm. Thursday night. Uh, and, and you know, uh, very frightening. Actually, you mm. know, it's taken the whole town uh, quite by a back that mm. this has happened. Bright as day. Bright as day. Mm. Uh, many, many people walk on the, in mm. around that area so often. And this lady was just extremely mm. unfortunate, but very lucky. What happened? Uh, she was approached from behind, was she? She, um, she approached from behind and attacked... Uh, a serious assault. Uh, they believe there was an intent of a, of a, of a serious sexual mm. assault to, to occur, and then this man ran off. Man in his twenties ran off down the inner relief road. Mm. So the guardi are appealing for any dash cam footage, but quite rightly, uh, Councillor Doyle raised it yesterday. Was there CCTV mm. in the in the area to try and identify? To try and yeah. identify. Because there is a description, but it's somewhat vague, as is quite often the case. We know this was a very big fella, apart yes, from anything. Yes, he was over six foot tall, wasn't yes, he? Yes, and I understand that the Gardaí are going to mm. issue an e- EvoVit uh, okay, yeah. photo mm. down the, in, mm. in the next for coming days. But I mean, it would have, it, you know, sometimes CCTV people say, well, if there was CCTV, he uh, could be identified. Sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. But the mm. fact mm. that you know there was no CCTV I think you know an incident like this can turn people off walking in an area that a lot of work has mm. has been undertaken by the local authority to ensure that you know walking facilities yeah. and amenities are there It's terrible though isn't it It is terrible to and think that, you know yeah. a number of mm. years ago it happened mm. here in Drogheda in the Rampark mm. area right, yeah. in mm. a, another very mm. popular walk running area where a serious mm. assault uh, mm. took place again on a woman who was running on her own um, and it's come to the point now where I feel and I know from talking to other women that, you know, 
it's nearly taking a risk walking on your own in the middle of broad daylight. Mm. Um, and but you can't feel like that either. I mean, that's well, you can't. But when you have attacks like this, I can guarantee you in the mm. next few days, a few yeah. weeks. I suppose you have to get the balance. The you walk- have to the walkers. You have to be sensible be enough to protect yes. yourself, but they're feeling, feeling intimidated to live. But then yeah. mm. you know when mm. you have attacks like this nature, mm. it does put that fear mm. or reluctance for females to go walking and mm. you know having the benefit of maybe CCTV uh, Councillor Doyle has suggested and I agree with her and I'm fully supportive of her that she will raise this at the Joint mm. Policing Committee that CCTV should be installed in public walkways mm. and public parks where people go for walk and exercise I mean yeah. w- you know we need to ensure that there is a balance mm. and you know having but I mean at the same time you want to get away from it all <laughs> you know I mean I, I, I think Public safety is paramount, and yes. uh, if that's the way it has to be, well, then that's the way it has to be. If it's the I, I, only I, I, way, but, that's, but saying, isn't it terrible? That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm you saying. Know? It is yeah, absolutely yeah, terrible. Yeah. But look, this is this mm. is unfortunately this is the world we live in. Uh, maybe it's something that happened many, many years ago, but maybe it was never highlighted to the extent it yeah. is now. Um, I, I I have to say that from talking to women in the in in the Dundalk area over the last number of days, they are actually quite shocked and are a bit reluctant to go out walking on their own. In the Feeling uncomfortable because yes, yes. there's somebody on the loose. There's somebody on the loose. Yeah. So I would ho- mm. encourage anybody who has any information that the, there is an appeal by the Gardaí for any information mm. out there um, of seeing this uh, particular person on the Inner Relief Road it, between uh, the hour the 20 to 8 mm. there on that if they have any information even if it's just the slightest uh, little thing that they, they think might have been a bit unusual uh, that they contact the Gardaí. Mm. And uh, you walk and run in this area yourself. Mm, yes. you're, you're you're one of uh, the women who uh, are, is feeling a little bit uncomfortable, feeling a little bit reluctant to do so. Alone. Well, I won't do it on my own, Michael. And and what I have two dogs. Is that, who I, is who that I an, oh okay right? Um, mm. And I, I, I you've always had your dogs, obviously. Or yeah. I would go on my own. On occasion, I would go on right. my own. But yeah. I'll tell you now, from the next next couple of uh, you know, from now mm. on, I won't be doing that. I'll be taking the dogs with me. Mm. And I actually do feel safer when I have the dogs mm. with me because mm. obviously you're not on your own. But you know, you can't like. As you say, you like to tune out. Yeah. Pe- mm. You know. Well, I mean, you like head, to sit down the in the park without thinking there's a yeah. camera on you. Or you, you know. You'd like yeah, to think yeah. that you know yeah. you, mm. you stick your headphones in and you mm. and you go for your walk or go for your run and listen to your music or yeah. your you know your audio book or whatever that you can mm. tune out. But when you have incidents like this that happen mm. in towns like Drogheda and Dundalk, you know it, it does beg the question: mm. you are reluctant to do that. And mm. if you're looking over your shoulder mm. going for a walk, you're not exactly going to. Mm feel relaxed mm. and comfortable uh, You're coming at this uh, I'm sure from a few different angles you're a woman obviously yeah. uh, you're a public representative uh, and you're a solicitor Yes uh, Is the law strong enough uh, in terms of dealing with people who carry out random attacks like this? Well the law is there uh, It's and you know it's on the balance of evidence and there's convictions uh, and there has been many I suppose talks uh, and debates about the severity of conviction, say, for instance, in sexual assault or, or yeah. violent crimes. Um, or near sexual assault. Or near sexual you know, assault, yes. This was undoubtedly a very frightening yes, thing to was, happen to yeah. somebody. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what kind of a conviction would you get for a near sexual assault? Well, it's an assault. Mm. Uh, it's an assault and, and it's with intent. So, yeah. a re- so really, 
I, I'm not going to comment on what type of charge and I can't. Sure. But uh, what I can say okay. to you is... But you in know, general terms. In general mm. terms, mm. look, you, if it's a sec- if it's a, an assault of a public nature, mm. you can have anything up to, to 10 years, mm. uh, on, on a maximum sentence in relation to a, an assault simpliciter. Um, what I would be say, saying in those instances, and I'm reluctant to even give an opinion because I respect the law and I respect the fact that it's on the balance of the evidence Mm. uh, of a case. Um, I have spoken many times I think in the past about the enforceability of yeah. of of, mm. of laws on mm. of these type of assaults, um, in in respect of it, I do feel we need to be a bit more tougher in Ireland. Mm. I think I think we need to, you know, there is times when we are not as tough in 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 assaults with an, a sexual mm. in, intent, shall mm. I say, that we should be. Um, but as I keep on saying to people, uh, law is not a motive. Law is is black and white on the balance of evidence Mm. and you know that is where maybe you know that's why we have jury trials because the emotion uh, human nature comes into it but maybe you know judges should look at it from that point of view Mm. as well and they often do they take victim impact statements in respect of it uh, and they're very conscious and some some better than others Uh, am I right in thinking that some better Mm -hmm. than others I mean I've been involved in in a number uh, of cases or I've witnessed in a number of cases where there is no victim impact statement on not assaults but something Mm. that would be very frightening for a young lady uh, and, you know, there's no victim impact statement taken. And, and in fact, the judge would adjourn the matter to get the point of view from the victim. Right. Um, mm. Just to make sure that their position mm. is voiced or where have they recovered or how has it affected their mm. life? So I do think, you know, I'm going to give credit, mm. you know, that judges do take that into yeah. account. Uh, and, you know, often it's highlighted of the, the, the cases where, you know, the sentences are light. But there mm. is the opposite end where, not you know, every session of, mm. of the criminal circuit court, there unfortunately, there is uh, cases of a similar nature to what has happened on, on Friday night mm. where there is convictions and the, the, the punishment does meet the crime, mm. so to speak. Sometimes, though, it, it is impossible because, as you say, the law is black and white mm-hmm. and uh, looks at, at things fairly coldly uh, and doesn't take into account uh, emotions to some degree. Uh, and, I mean, one of the things I always think about is if somebody robs a bank tomorrow mm-hmm. and they rob a million pounds, mm-hmm. if they're caught, they're in a, a lot of trouble. If they break into a house and rob 20 euro, they're not in anywhere near as much trouble. But the damage they might have done robbing the 20 euro to the people who were in the house at the time, emotionally and psychologically, mm-hmm. uh, could be untold and impossible to put a cost on. It is impossible. Mm. And, you know, the law is not perfect and mm. society is not yeah. perfect. Mm. And, you know, it's always a work in progress and things often change. You know, what, you know, breaking into a house and stealing 20 euro and locking, say, people up in, in their homes yes. or their breach of their privacy, mm. uh, I think is taken far more into consideration nowadays than, say, 30 or 40 years mm. ago, where, you know, the effects of that maybe wouldn't mm. have been analysed as yeah. much in court. So I think as society mm. moves on, the in mm. fairness, the judiciary mm. will look at things as society moves mm. on in a different perspective. So in that aspect, mm. you know, I think... That's a moving. That's always a changing yeah. process. In and in the same way that you said there was an assault here, and that an assault can lead to a conviction of ten years. Yes. Uh, but uh, an assault is different to 
an assault with intent to sexually assault somebody. Yeah, and an assault it, it, with intent to murder. There's all different types of Sure, but if you've been assaulted and you feel mm-hmm. that there was a risk of sexual assault, uh, it may be the cause of you feeling that you shouldn't go out on your own anymore, which is not acceptable. It's not acceptable and absolutely understandable mm. oh, well, to be feeling abso- like absolutely. that. Absolutely, yes. Um, and that's, and that, that's, that's what, why I'm making yes, the point. Absolutely yes, absolutely mm. understandable. Mm. But that, that I, I, as I say to you, it is not a perfect um, system, mm. but it's the system we have. And I do believe that the judiciary, like for instance, hopefully when this person mm. is caught and they are charged with whatever the charge will be met and we don't know what that is as yet yeah. um, and it comes to court that a judge will take into account the effects of this incident on the victim uh, and have a victim impact statement and as you know Fianna Fáil pre- presented a bill last last year at the beginning of this year in relation to having an assistance or legal representation for victims of this nature and I think that will yeah. actually benefit an awful lot the court's insight mm. into the victim because unfortunately at present it is only through if in circumstances where a victim impact mm. statement is presented yeah. and otherwise of, you're a witness yeah, uh, but you're, you're talking about having legal representation in the court in the court mm-hmm. and oftentimes you know as I say in those instances I've said where there's no victim impact mm. s- statement and there's none required but a judge has the foresight to ask how is the victim mm. Have we got a victim impact statement? Are they here in court? If they're not here in court, I would I want a victim impact statement yeah. from the victim in question. And I think, you know, judges do an awful lot of them do have the foresight. But in some instances, it is not a requirement. So maybe mm. that's something that legislation needs to look at. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's worth even thinking about the mindset of the individual who carried out the attack, uh, whether it was drink or drug fueled or whether there were mental health problems or what it was behind it. Uh, but uh, it's a dangerous individual. And uh, Yes, and I mean, I look, I think irrespective of the mindset mm, of the person, yeah. what they've done was wrong. Well, absolutely. And yes, uh, yeah. I believe that, you know, that will be a matter for them to 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 present mm. and their mm. legal counsel to present in, in whatever it's very fashion. Hard. I think it was somebody in their 20s who did very, this. Look, yeah, I, I, yeah, think yeah, it's, yeah. I think that's mm. what's, what I find uh, yeah. shocking in respect of it. Someone in their early 20s, someone mm. who was obviously quite large and, and, and a woman mm. in her, in you know, a, a woman minding her own business going about. It's, yeah. a, it's just the randomness of it. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I really hope that this lady does recover, um, you know, and whatever. You know, there's great supports out there uh, locally. Um, for getting counselling and 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 trying to work through this, but it's a horrendous situation. Um, but again, I would just reiterate that if anybody, even if it's the slightest thing, it's quite a popular yeah. area that people walk, cycle, yeah. drive by. Somebody um, might have seen might something. have seen something, and yeah. just to maybe mm-hmm. retrace their 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 whereabouts at on the night mm-hmm. in question, and which was last Thursday night. Wasn't last it? Yeah. Thursday yeah. night uh, at seven forty mm-hmm. uh, p.m. Um, it would have been quite, you know, it is a quite populated area. There's a main road beside the actual walkway on either side of the road. Um, but this person, I believe, took off in the direction of the inner relief road. So if anyone was in that area, there's a park. St. Helena's Park is right beside this town walkway. So people could have been in the park. If they've seen anything unusual, please contact the Guardian. Yeah, and let's hope that there isn't a repeat of this Absolutely. type of story. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Look, thank you very much for coming into us uh, this morning. Michael. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Emma Coffey. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM.
Very interesting reading in the Irish Times, which looks back at a report in the Irish Times that appeared on the front page of the paper on the 6th of February 1985. It read, an unmarried Bangarda who had a baby last year is now awaiting the outcome of disciplinary proceedings taken against her under Garda Shiakana. The story was continued on page 13, saying that uh, there were two charges against this recruit. The first, in the language of uh, the charge sheet, is that she did consort with an unnamed Garda in and around a specific rural area and, as a result, became pregnant by him while a member of the Garda Shiakana unmarried in brackets and the second was uh, that she delivered an infant in an unnamed hospital also while a member of the Garda Shiakana unmarried in brackets. We now know that the Ban Garda as she was described at the time in 1985 was Magella Moynihan and uh, the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris as well as uh, the Minister uh, Charlie Flanagan has said that they will meet with her to deliver an apology to her after her being threatened with dismissal uh, after having a child uh, back in 1984 as an unmarried member of the Force. We'll talk about this with Athena Locke Nan, who's uh, the Women's Health Coordinator with uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. Good morning to you, Athena, and uh, thanks for joining us. It's hard to believe how recently this happened uh, in some ways. In other ways, uh, it was a very long time ago in that back in 1984, uh, you needed a prescription to buy condoms in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, in some ways Ireland has really come a long way um, since uh, the early 80s. But yeah, the 80s is not a long time ago. And I think that's one of the things that really shocked people in the last week, that how recent uh, was the experience that Magella Moynihan had. And I suppose what we've heard from Magella um, when she's spoken um, so bravely and, and so honestly about what the experience is like for her, you know, there's a real raw pain in Magella when she talks about it. So th- these experiences are not in the distant past for Magella and they're not in the distant past for Ireland at all either. Mm. And I suppose, unfortunately, Magella is one in a long line of women, I suppose, who've experienced uh, the shame and who were silenced around uh, their experience of pregnancy and, you know, who felt coerced into having to give their babies up. And I think that's what we're hearing uh, when we hear Magella speak. And I suppose in the Women's Council, we really just, you know, we have to say we really commend Magella Moynihan for coming forward, for telling her story. And we know it's really important to break that silence that there has existed in Ireland around these experiences and we really believe that um, in being brave for herself she's being brave for other women and we know that what she has done is going to empower other women to be able to speak about what's happened to them. Because there has to be plenty more because it it was a a long time ago in the sense of how the country has changed but this is very recent history and history that many of us will remember quite vividly Uh, and at a time as I said earlier on just by way of example that you needed a prescription to buy condoms in, in this country but it was also a time that many of us will remember uh, was uh, a country that the Catholic Church had a very strong hold over uh, and very interesting to think back uh, to 1984 and the Garda Commissioner looking for advice from the Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Ryan I think at the time. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose, you know, all this was happening in, in the immediate backdrop of the Eighth Amendment um, coming into the Constitution in 1983. 1983. Yep. And we know, you know, uh, um, 
many of the reasons why that may have happened. And I suppose that is something I think that we do need to address. So we need to think about, you know, what was the power of the Catholic Church within Angora Shiakana, within other state agencies, and indeed, you know, an impact on government policy. And, you know, while you do talk about it being in the past, as I said, these are having very real consequences for people now. So it's not, I don't think we can, you know, wring our hands and say, well, this is a long time ago and Ireland has changed. The only way that Ireland can really change is if we, you know, confront this past and if we um, actually make reparations to the, the women who were affected. So I suppose in, in Magella Moynihan's case, she's, you know, has spoken about the need for an apology. And I think we can all understand why um, she would need the state to apologise for what happened to her. Uh, but there may be other things that need to happen. So, for example, there may be damages that uh, Magella should be paid. Or perhaps, like some people have been suggesting, that effectively what happened to her was constructive dismissal. And in that case, you know, maybe she has entitlements to pension and rights and so on. And I guess it's also about how do we support those who are um, have been adopted in Ireland in the recent past, making sure that they have access to information well, yeah. about themselves. Undoubtedly, that's the biggest part of this story, isn't it? Her, her little uh, baby uh, and where he ended up uh, and uh, what might have happened otherwise. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you, when you listen to the documentary, the hour-long documentary, Magella talks an awful lot about her son, David, and how she feels that she was coerced in, um, into putting him to up for adoption and the level of pressure that she came on mm. um, came under from more senior people to adopt um, and you know we know that uh, this happens to many women unfortunately in Ireland and there was this shame and um, around pregnancy especially unmarried uh, mothers um, and we need to think about what are we doing to support people in these situations and I guess that relates directly to a piece of legislation that is actually um, the government is working on at the moment mm. um, and I think that's another way in which we can um, um, try to repair some of the damage that has been done in the past, just to make sure that the processes we put in place in Ireland in 2019 and in Ireland for the future mean that situations um, as poor as this cannot arise for people. Mm. So, for example, you know, as I said, there's a piece of legislation, uh, it's the Adoption Information and Tracing Bill, and the government appears to be trying to push this bill through before the summer recess happens. But the reality is, is that many adopted people and many natural um, mothers are... Um, are not happy with elements of the bill, particularly around how um, people who've been adopted may not be able to access their own birth records, for example. Mm. So we think, you know, given um, how brave and, and how honest Magella has the been... the parents who put them up for adoption may not want to be identified. They may not, but I mean, it's also, as I said, there are natural mothers um, who are also opposed to this legislation. And we know that groups like the Adoption Rights Alliance mm. have been working with mothers who um, mm. gave children up for adoption and, you know, to try and understand their experiences. And ma- many women mm. of those women uh, spoke as well uh, very similarly in terms of shame, in terms of uh, feeling that they had to give their child up for adoption and that they were kind of coerced into signing no contact mm. orders, for example. But, uh, I think Minister Sapone has been talking about a, a balance of rights and trying to get that balance. Well, I suppose if we want to try and get that balance, rushing a piece of legislation through uh, the Oireachtas is, is perhaps now at this point not the way to do that. So what we would suggest and what all, you know, the groups who have a real personal interest in um, how the system will operate, what they're saying is they'd like more meaningful engagement with the department and they'd like to, as you say, come to some arrangement that would be balancing but would enable people to know where, you know, where they came from um, and have access to their birth um, 
their birth certificates. So I think there is a way that we can make this legislation better. Mm. And as I said, you know, meaningful engagement, talking to people, understanding the experience. And really, you know, as is the case in this whole situation, is reflecting on what happened in the past and what are the things we do not want um, people to have to experience into the future in Ireland. Okay, but when we talk about the type of society uh, that we wish to build, we're reflecting on a time when people were asking exactly that question and were very judgmental in our eyes to day and it is very hard to believe uh, the mindset uh, because uh, Ireland has changed so dramatically over the years and that people would delve into other people's personal lives and as to whether they were having sex or not having sex, whether they were married or not married if they were having sex and how they uh, judged people who were having what they called premarital sex and if they were giving birth unmarried as uh, that report uh, indicated and as a member of Angarda Shia she faced disciplinary action, faced the prospect of being sacked as she was told if it happened again. Uh, do we know uh, what other institutions of uh, the state would uh, have looked on people's personal behaviour in such a way? I mean, I think anecdotally um, there have been, and I, I mean, we're talking, we, you're using the word people, but really it was women um, that were at the centre of this sure, kind of yeah, moral okay. uh, panic, let's say. So um, we do know anecdotally other women who've worked in other state agencies have spoken about experiences and maybe not to the extent of sanction that Magella faced, but I think um, it would appear that there are certainly other women who had similar experiences. And I think that's what we're saying as well as, you know, it is about apologising to Magella and she deserves a state apology at this point um, but we can't just stop at the, at the stage of apology. We have to look at and review what has happened um, across what we would be saying is we would like to see Angarda Chiacana do a review of their own uh, files and to see did, did similar um, situations arise for other women within the force but also that it is now up to the government to look at other state agencies um, and again to see were other women um, forced uh, to leave employment for example or had sanctions applied to them and again, thinking about how those women need to um, have an apology as well, and also thinking about the reparation or the um, the damages mm. that might be um, liable for those women. Okay, I'm not sure that it would be just women, uh, to be honest with you. Perhaps mm. uh, in terms of uh, becoming pregnant and so on, but we have to remind ourselves uh, that uh, whilst we've moved forward very quickly, our, our recent history uh, shows us uh, that it was a very different country to live in, uh, certainly up to 1993. It was in 1993 that same-sex sexual activity was decriminalised in this country, so I'm sure that might have been frowned upon uh, by some of uh, the state bodies uh, and uh, how employees were acting for that matter. Yes, yeah, no, I mm. totally agree mm. with you, and I think, um, yeah, it is to look at, you know, was this this kind of, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, moral kind of investigation of people that was completely inappropriate to people in their place of employment. Did that happen to other people? What were the circumstances for those people, and what are the kind of ongoing injustice that mm. uh, people who experience uh, this kind of discrimination have now, and how does the state need to support them around that? Okay, Cleena, listen, thanks uh, for taking some time to be with us on the programme today uh, and uh, for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Cleena Lochnan is uh, the Women's Health Coordinator with uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. 
Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents uh, Garda are investigating locally and uh, perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Paul Connolly of Dundalk Station joins us for the report this week and we'll begin with a story we were discussing earlier on with Councillor Emma Coffey and the attack uh, that occurred last Thursday evening at uh, the Town Walk in Dundalk. Obviously, uh, Garda are very interested in getting any information from anybody who was in the area that can lead to, to an arrest in this particular incident. That's right, Mike, and an awful incident that occurred for this, this uh, moment last Thursday evening, the 13th of June. She was out for a walk along the Tawn Walkway. Now, for anyone that's not familiar with the area, the Tawn Walkway links the Inner Leaf Road in Dundalk at the Tawn Bridge to the Old Newry Road near the Listu. It's just a walkway along the river. Um, very popular area for, for people out for a walk in the evening time. So last Thursday evening at, at 7.45pm, this woman was out for a walk when she was attacked um, along the town walkway. Now, there was a sexual motive behind this, this random attack. The woman was attacked from behind, but thankfully managed to push away from, from the attacker and struggled free. Now, the suspect is described as a male in his 20s, wearing a grey tracksuit top and bottoms. He had a tight haircut with fair hair. Now, he was described as 6 foot 2 in height and a tanned complexion. Now, this, this, the suspect fled on foot and made his way out of the town walkway, out onto the Inner Relief Road. That's the, the bypass in Dundalk. Now, again, as you say, we're just appealing to anyone in around the area um, last Thursday evening that may have seen the attack take place or indeed seen this male in the area. And the fact that he went out onto the Inner Relief Road, it's a very, very busy road. Anyone that was travelling on the road that time, around 7.45pm, that may have a dash cam on the car, if it could come forward, they may have captured this mail on, on their dash cam and don't even realise it. OK, and uh, perhaps uh, they can make that uh, footage available to the Gardaí to help with your investigations. Uh, that was uh, last Thursday. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, there was a, a break-in to a local clubhouse. I'm sure anybody who's involved with any local clubs uh, will understand uh, the amount of uh, time and effort and work uh, that goes into supplying uh, these facilities uh, for people in uh, the area and will understand how... Uh, how worrying it is uh, when you get a break-in like this. That's right, Michael. Unfortunately, mm. there's a break-in to the Maddock Rangers Club in Cullen on Wednesday last, the 12th of June, at 4.35am, so the early hours of last Wednesday morning. The clubhouse was broken into and a lawnmower and a strimmer taken. Now, there, was, there were two males seen in the area captured on CCTV in a saloon-type car. So if anyone has any information on this or indeed seen this saloon-type car in the area and these two males, contact Gardaí. To Drogheda next and uh, burglary to report on. Break into a house at Hawthorne Court in Drogheda. Now it was over the weekend between Friday the 14th of June at 6pm and the owner returned home on Sunday morning at 8am to just find the front door forced open and rooms ransacked. Now there was a 50 inch TV taken so this isn't something you're going to put up under your jumper. So there must have been transport nearby or outside. So anyone in around the Hawthorne Court area, if they did see a car, a strange car in the area or someone acting suspicious, over the weekend, please contact Gardy. All right, or if you're offered a, a knockdown 50-inch sure. TV, uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, some criminal damage then to a house in Moneymore in Drogheda to report on next. Criminal damage to a house in Moneymore in Drogheda here um, between Tuesday last, the 11th of June, at 9pm and Wednesday, the 12th, at 3pm. Again, the owner returned home and discovered the sitting room window and the front door smashed and then went down the back of the house and unfortunately the patio door and windows all smashed in the house as well. So again, anyone in the Moneymore area, 
um, between Tuesday and Wednesday last, if they know anything about it, contact Yardy and Drogheda. Okay, next uh, to Navin. Uh, this is uh, the quarry that uh, was subject to, to some criminal damage, was it? There was, yeah, there was criminal damage to the property at um, Dollardstown Quarry in Navin on Tuesday last, the 11th of June, at 11.25pm. There was a tipper truck and a prefab set alight and it caused an extensive damage. Um, again, anyone in round the quarry area, if they've seen anyone hanging around, anyone acting suspicious, uh, contact Gardy. And we're going to conclude in Ashburn uh, this week. Uh, we've uh, another burglary to report on. This happened on Tuesday of last week, a week ago. Yeah, unfortunately, another break into a house, this time at Robertstown in Ashburn on Tuesday last uh, at 10.30am, so early in the morning. On returned home to discover the rear patio door forced open and entry gained and a number, number of items taken. So again, if anyone in around the Robertstown area noticed strange car, someone hanging around um, that just didn't look right, they mightn't have thought anything of it at the mm. time, but now they realise there's a neighbour or a friend up there getting their house broken into. If they know anything at all, contact Gardy. Okay. Garda Paul Connolly of Dundalk Garda Station. Thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, let's uh, go back uh, to some of uh, the calls, the text messages and emails and so forth that have been coming to us. Uh, Marie, more comments there. I sure do, Michael. And st- staying with climate change, mm. Theresa says, with reference to this climate change plan, how are old age pensioners going to afford forward uh, and go to the effort to change their heating systems from what they already have the expense will be extraordinary yeah well that's one of uh, the unknown answers uh, to a question that a lot of people are asking the government says uh, that uh, it it can't be seen as a a tax and an unnecessary cost and it has to be worth everybody's while and they'll nudge in that direction so time will tell what the plan is Paddy says there was a serious climate change in the 14 and 1600s. Oh no, we didn't, did he? And everybody burned oh. sticks and coal back mm. then too. Mm. China is opening a new coal mine every week. Oh, no. If we all left Ireland mm. and only left the birds and mm. the trees, yeah. it would not make any difference to the environment. Mm. We only a speck in the ocean okay. and fears that the government is scaremongering. Mm. Okay. Says Paddy. Mm. Liz from Terman Fekin. What impact will Ireland have on climate change when China, India and the US continue to pollute the atmosphere with coal and petroleum-based heavy heavy industry, she feels. Yeah, well, I mean, there is a, a point in all of that, uh, but uh, is it a, a question of uh, do as I say and, and not as I do? But, I mean, we all have a responsibility. A texter says, I worked in Australia putting in solar panels on houses nine years ago. The government had a huge grant which covered most of the cost to install these panels. Mm. Also, what electricity that wasn't used got put pa- back on the grid and mm. the homeowner got paid per kilowatt that wasn't used in their own homes. Ireland needs to put this in their budget and roll this out big time next year. And most importantly, they need to get paid for the excess electricity that would make everyone get it done. Why are we always the last to roll out this stuff? Well, we might be the last, uh, but that is uh, part of uh, the objective uh, that people would be able to feed back into the grid. Another text to remember all the air pollution, Michael, when Donald Trump came recently with his huge entourage. Well, that was hot air. How many aircrafts landed with him? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> there was aircrafts going mm. to and fro from Shannon Airport. That's right, they? yeah. Plenty of them. Uh, mm. Mary says, when the electricity came to Ireland in the 50s, mm. 
Do you remember that far back, Michael? <laughs> no. <laughs> the people um, were told that the more who joined up, the cheaper it would be. Yeah. We got one socket in the kitchen, a bulb in each room mm. and a free kettle. And the prices went up and up. We will never be able to afford electricity heating only as prices will again go up and up, says yeah. Mary. Well, I mean, the idea of heating uh, your house with electricity is uh, beyond most of us uh, as things stand. Uh, maybe the cost of electricity will come down as uh, they increase the amount of renewable energy. I don't know. Owen says that in theory this all sounds great. It does. That we're all doing our bit for the environment. But Mm. the reality, Michael, Mm. how realistic is it? I don't know. The cost on people is going to be a huge factor Mm. in whether any of these aims can be achieved. It's all very well to say do away with this Mm. and do away with that. But unless it's made affordable for Mm. people, it's just not going to happen. Well, there's (laughs) two sides to every story. Yeah, it, it, it may be uh, achievable if you make it affordable. It may be achievable if you make it unaffordable not to do it. Yes. And that's possibly where we're going. Yes. Mm. Sean is wondering... Last word to Sean. Sean, yeah, because he's wondering, he's hearing talk about that they're going to get rid of petrol cars and mm. diesel cars. Yep. So he's wondering, will electric cars then be the only things that we're able to drive? I think so, yeah. Mm. All right, Sean. Unless they come up with a new invention, yeah, (laughs) we could drive on air. Thanks for that, Sean. Thanks, Mary. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. And God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at nine a.m. on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM. To contact us, email now: michael at lmfm.ie. 